Hello. Actually, the first when I first moved in, into this house, I recorded an episode in the wrong room, like for the the acoustics, and it was so god awful that I had thing, to record yeah. the whole thing. That's over so again. annoying, it though, because so... you have to get in the right. Yeah. Yeah. Thing, exactly. It's so defeating when you realize you have to record it again. <laughs> We've learned now. We record one section, and then he listens. I don't. Yeah. Oh, don't, smart. We so don't ever record it. the entire thing all at smart. once without stopping. But ours are, you know, they're scripts. They're like, you know, a couple thousand words divided Her, into right. chunks. So, so I'll just read the chapter now, guys, right? <laughs> read it live. <laughs> I have it open. Did you, here, so. did you both read it or are you just going off of? No. Oh, right. I already know. Not only night. did we, okay. we both read it and I made some notes and then, um, you know, we, we just covered this in... Our previous yeah, so episode, we're all and actually we're we haven't even done the Sam live stream yet. That that's actually like in a couple of weeks. Ooh, so this is a little interlude like between Samwell immersion. Yes, and we're just going to mostly talk theories. I would assume. I mean, mm-hmm. I just have a lot of questions for everybody. So whether or not you read the chapter, I really like this chapter a lot. Really liked it. Yeah, I felt I like. like it. Are we recording? Yep. Oh, cool. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I felt like it. It was a. Uh, quintessential in a way that I was like okay that felt like this was made for me and I know it wasn't but it, it's cool <laughs> when stuff makes you feel like that yeah it was made for you was it really for you this is and me not helping my that's, paranoia that's <laughs> what, <laughs> well I feel like it deals with so many of those questions that you care about so like it deals there's so much ma- some like the underlying magic is mm. coming a little bit more into play mm. in this chapter and so which I think is right up your alley isn't it cool being outside of a place and then now you're tucked deep inside of the place. Mm-hmm. He goes from coming in on the cinnamon wind to here's where you're now going to sleep. Yeah. I don't know what you would call that. That just scenario yeah. to me is cool. It's just a – we didn't have the same with Arya. went to Bravos, and it's a similar sort of ride-up situation mm. through the harbor, looking at the Titan, seeing the different ways the the channels, which way the water went, getting establishing uh, like uh, architecture and get, understanding the area so much more. Yeah. But she just got to the front of the House of Black and White. There wasn't a lot of welcoming aspect, but mm. Sam here has really been like welcomed in and sort of a fast track into the order. And at first when you're going into the chapter, it feels like he's going to talk to Theobald uh, who, or whoever the seneschal is at the time. Yeah. And uh, he's going to have to – it'll probably just be him speaking his case. That'll be the end of it. But yeah. what a cool way to end the book for it mm. to be a flurry, a mm-hmm. whirlwind of – actually, it's it's kind of like the the feeling where Ollie in the ser- in the TV series where Ollie's like, Benjen's here. Come out into the yard. Just a flurry of stuff happened at once except he doesn't get stabbed. <laughs> but it does end with Pate. So there is – there, it is still he still did get us while he gave us that whirlwind mm. of excitement of of Marwin snapping into action immediately he calls him Slayer yeah mm-hmm. come on Slayer come yeah. in just it's all happening a whirlwind of action how dare you sir <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but then again like I said then there's Pate at the end where mm-hmm. now where it's like oh, is can we really be that happy because it's we don't know we don't know I don't know. If it's actually a safe situation for him to be in or not. What do you guys think? I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily a safe situation for him to be in, but it feels we've been waiting for so long for Sam to get here and it feels familiar to him. This is kind of the thing. I mean, we hear in the beginning of the chapter as he arrives, he's like, why didn't I come here earlier when I was a kid? Right. This is kind of where I belong. And so there's that sense of, and it's near his family home. So there's that sense of um, 
familiarity. I think mm-hmm. that even if the situation is a little bit dangerous, people are actually listening to him and it's a place that he's always wanted to be in. And so there's that familiar comfort, mm-hmm. I think almost that he finally made it. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's grown on this journey. He was at the wall and he was sort of the butt of joke, people's jokes mm-hmm. for a long while. And he's, you know, he's fat Sam. And then he goes on this journey and he sort of gets to change a bit, you know, he gets the space and now we're entering the phase where we, we can, you know, see how that manifests and mm. he's, he might be feeling a bit more confident than he was. And, you know, it mentions that his clothes are looking big on him, meaning that he's been eating a lot of fruits and he's looking a bit different, you know, the changes are physical and I think mental and I, th- I think... We're arriving at the Citadel, he's got a chance to grow even even further now. So I was amazed um, rereading it and thinking about the way he he's when he gets there and he's thinking about what to do with Gilly, and he thinks, you know, is it going to be safe for her here? Should I send her back on the Cinnamon Wind? Should I bring her to Horn Hill? And he goes through this whole decision making process, and it's all very mature and confident Mm -hmm. it is 100 percent not the sam from game of thrones Mm -hmm. who would have been scared of everything and he decides that he's going to bring her to horn hill himself and he's going to go to check it out and make sure everything's safe like he doesn't trust other people to take care of her which is such a big change and you know if she's not going to be safe there he'll he'll bring her back to to old town he's just so different um more confident in everything that he does i mean to be confident that he can actually care for her and protect her from Mm -hmm. some dangers is a hundred percent different from where he was you know just a few months ago he's sam the slayer he refers to himself as that which i loved that moment when he's like they call me sam the slayer i don't know why i said that why are you saying that you hate that come in here slayer yeah (laughs) like now you're saddled with it forever right (laughs) so you can see it as a sort of manhood arc that's unfolding you know before our eyes and you know these tests like you say zach he gets pulled into immediately into this kind of thick plots that are going on in the citadel and you know it it was a faint when he arrived there and it seemed like oh this is going to be a bit slow and dull and the guy wouldn't let him in for a while and it you know it changed very quickly into a bit of an adventure so you know i think we've got a lot lot to look forward to in future sam povs at the citadel it's definitely not going to be boring or just sort of laborious it's going to be exciting and perhaps even thrilling i think it's going to be it's i haven't really been thinking about it enough but reading this chapter and and revisualizing the dragon glass candle burning in the center of the room that he's just walked in and knowing that this is where he's staying. They have it lit. They figured it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marwin's, I'm assuming, in control of the whole situation. It sure seems that way. But judging by the people he's surrounded by, I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. I really don't know what's going on. It's, yeah. it's left to be a little bit confusing. But if he leaves, and it seems like he's leaving, and Sam's there to just do his thing in old town and give us a new set of chapters with a new goal mm-hmm. holy crap i know it's very exciting holy crap everything happening all the inklings of euron as he's kind of yeah. lurking his way around mm. the outskirts of of coming into old town yes. and all of the 
kind of understanding of some of these magics coming to mm-hmm. to light and yeah. the drama of what is or isn't allowed to be talked about in the citadel and kind of what mm-hmm. science versus magic and yeah. dragons and all that kind of stuff coming to light he's at the center of action which almost seems strange because he's so far away but this is kind of at the center of everything yeah, yeah it really is um i found like so the Sort of the end of the chapter when he gets there and he he meets he meets Alaris and he meets well eventually Pate and and Marwin and Leo. It's I said when we talked about this recently in an episode that it's it's like the assembling the team mm-hmm. trope. So it's almost like it's going to be like a kind of a buddy adventure. Yeah, you know, like whatever happens next, I feel like it's going to be that group of people. And I think we're stuck with Leo Tyrell. I think he's going to be part of the group. He's going to be like that guy that everyone's always like, oh my God. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> How did we get this guy? And hey, what, you know, like what's even happening with him? Like, right. you know, what are you they going to end up down in the bowels of the Citadel looking for whatever it is, Pate? jacket and Quote whatever. Yeah. I was going to ask, what do you, what do you guys think for? about Pate? What do you guys think about Pate? Well, who is Pate? Pate is jacket. Pate is jacket or, or just a faceless assassin. I think he's definitely jacket because he, he looks like the, the way jacket looked at the end of Arya's, the last time Arya saw jacket and he changed the, the description is. Yeah. There's a, uh, is a exact. hooked nose. Hook nose, the red. Uh, was there I a mean, scar the, on his face or so, so, scar, something that, you know, you, you could be pretty hair. sure. Yeah. Yeah. The, the descriptions are so similar. So is this a job or is he gone rogue? Well, that's a good, interesting question because how, you know, how would he know? Like he was, so he's in the black cells. Like whatever was his agenda in the first place. Mm-hmm. He started out in King's Landing in the black cells and then he was going to the wall and then he wasn't and then he ends up in old town so i'm not really sure and he knows a lot enough to want to be here to mm-hmm. be this close to marwin yeah and he also recruited Arya. so if you're thinking has he sort of gone rogue you got to remember that he he did send her he sort of sent Arya yeah to the house of black and white so maybe rather than going rogue he's someone with a lot of license to Mm. to go and investigate things and report back to, you know, the head honcho at the Black and White or however that organization works. Do you think it's possible he's the head honcho? Do you mean that he's the actually the kindly man, like time-wise, or that he the kindly man isn't really the head honcho and that Jack is? It's hard to say. I, I didn't yeah. ever really think the kindly man was the main person, but it right. would make sense because, or, yeah. or he's at least high up enough to sort of filter out who comes in. Yeah, I mean, I think Jackin has to be, well, I wouldn't call him that for lack of knowing anything real about him. Um, he's got to be pretty high up because of all those things we were just saying. I exactly, mean, he, yeah. he clearly had multiple missions mm-hmm. that he could deploy. I mean, unless he has, well, it seems unlikely that he would have a glass candle in his back pocket, given that the faceless men probably don't approve of that right but seems useful though yeah but it's valyrian so you would they would not probably so they're just anti any it. sort of valyrian technology at all i think so because that's how they you know bravos was very anti-valyria they were free escaped slaves exactly from the free especially hold, so dragons, i think though. you know dragons but i would assume that also any valyrian yeah. sorcery is kind of like them being suppressed you, you know you'd assume that they would be anti, yeah. you know, it's... So how is he communicating? I mean, does he just have like 
a laundry list of things that he has to do in his back pocket, you know, like, oh, got to go to King's Landing for some reason. Got to go to the wall. Oh, that's not going to work out. Go oh, recruit Arya Stark. Done that. Mm-hmm. Now I got to go to the Citadel. On to the I mean, next. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like how does it all fit into the same kind of right. mission or are they all yeah. Is it all related? Is it all a bunch of separate things that he was supposed to do? And now why is he patiently sitting in Marwin's my study? Well, Marwin seems office. to be kind of the guy who mm. he knows a lot. He mm-hmm. sees a lot. I mean, he has this glass candle that gives him access into people's dreams and events and things that are happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, he kind of seems to me like, like the sit back and understand everything that's going on and whether or not he's manipulating that Mm -hmm. or he's just taking in a lot of information, what the purpose of all that is. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure, but I think somebody like Jacken who seems to be trying to play the game is the best he can. Marwin is a guy to be close Mm -hmm. to because he's got power and knowledge and all the resources seemingly that you might need in order to be yeah. Yeah. successful. And his knowledge yeah. is the underground sort. It's mm-hmm. not, he's not a typical maester. And, you know, it shows it at the end of the chapter, Jack and really hits the jackpot. Sam comes and tells everything that's he been happening at the wall the whole <laughs> yeah. journey. Daenerys, the dragons, <laughs> all in one go in the space of five minutes. Twice. Jack and knows everything. So in... You know, if the faceless men are, you know, if their goals sort of intersect with the Citadel and that they want to eliminate dragons because they're a danger to the world or what have you, he just did. I mean, he just, he found out where the dragons are, what they're doing from Sam, but he also has this glass candle, which he can use to kind of like track the dragons or, or find out any number of things that will help them you know, in their, in their goals. And even if I assume if they don't approve of that technology, I mean, they probably wouldn't be above using it it's useful for mm. their end game, yeah. you know, and whatever they're so is. separated from their lineage. It's been so long that mm. they weren't treated as badly as the, the people that came before them. Yeah. Surely they can separate it enough to be like, hmm, maybe I'll yeah. use this candle. Yeah, definitely. And I don't know if it's, if it's all about just making sure the dragons don't come to power. I just don't know. Well, there there is a fan theory that Jacken is in the citadel to get hold of the death of the dragons, death of dragons. A, a book that I think Tyrion mentions that yeah, it's called the Death of Dragons, Maester and Tomac. it teaches you how you know the weak spots of dragons and how hmm. to kill them. So that there is a theory that Jacken is there trying to get his hands on this sort of ancient tome, and that would be the the reason why he's. Yeah, there in the first place. And then he's sort of spying and seeing what information he can pick up, remembering that the faceless men make great spies mm -hmm. and they they get whatever information they can. So he's about to score this book, The Death of Dragons, but in the meantime, he's also found out exactly where the dragons Mm -hmm. are. So they're like... Apart from the, the, I don't know if you would call it a... What's that... I guess, what's a very common term when people are prejudiced? Apart hmm. from the prejudice, yeah. sorry, you I'm not no, prejudiced. Well, you gave no info on what you were trying to think, other than it was a common term. <laughs> I got there. Eventually. Couldn't help. Grass. What, what's that prejudice? Apart from prejudice of the reason that they were founded, 
and from within the freehold, the order of of the assassins of the House mm-hmm. of Black and White and the mm-hmm. guild that they created, apart from their rough past with people who use mm-hmm. dragons as their steeds or as their magical friends and consorts, <laughs> et cetera, artistic representations of their houses. Apart <laughs> from all of that, what reason do you think that the House of Black and White would want the dragons to go away is it just to make sure that they retain power in the way that they're con- they continue to do it or are they working for someone else maybe they've been hired by the iron bank or something yeah i mean just to keep that Big balance contract. of power yeah you know uh from not shifting to somebody with magical Nukes. nuclear weapons mm-hmm. you know i mean it's it, it and that's that's such a great comparison when you talk about dragons you know to, to put it in real world terms i mean what do world powers do to prevent rogue nuclear weapons mm-hmm. you know in this world they'll probably do just about anything to to keep you know that from happening so you know right now danny's got well two dragons that are basically rogue nukes mm-hmm. yeah right? just in, flying in, around in, in the, the reading sky. order right now i know that um we're reading this chapter from feast but in the reading order this is uh three chapters from the end mm. so we've got barry's last chapter right after this yeah and then mm-hmm. uh what is yeah, i'm looking it up. <laughs> i think <laughs> I, I, totally I looked at it last forget. night is do you end with danny we end with danny, danny. yeah but i and forget what's between john the, was there a john we got the epilogue the epilogue the barry you've done john Daenerys. Yeah. So uh, Vic's already outside of, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. of, of he's he's going up Slaver's Bay. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, the the war's about to start, but of course mm-hmm. we haven't got to that chapter yet. And uh, Danny's flown away, and she's been away for a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So this all kind of fits in. Yeah, and the dragons are just kind of exactly. flying around. So two dragons flying around, two masterless nukes yeah, flying around, that and nobody then, can control them. Right, right. and she's they still trying to figure out hers. the one person who is supposedly supposed to control them is somebody who has blood that has a tendency to be like a reputation of being mad or things like yeah, that. Tainted. So yeah. Yeah. So this all really proves the the point of the faceless men. You know, and all like, the bravos see that the dragons are not they're too dangerous. Force. They're too they're dangerous a symbol to of allow. oppression. Yeah. And something that can be used to dominate entire peoples mm. and yeah, oppress them. Mm-hmm. Never mind that right now, I mean, so right now Danny is, well, she hasn't really even used her dragons except for that one, one time at the beginning when they were quite little and she did use, the, but, but that symbolizes how she could use them to dominate and oppress. And then it's a matter of perspective. I mean, so in her perspective, she's, you know, freeing slaves and doing good things, but from the perspective of the young Kai, she's a terrorist. Sure. Right. She came right. in and burned one of them and, you know, she's um she's not a force for good and she basically destroyed their economy and, you know disrupting the global Yeah. Slave trade. It is yeah. it is an Which, irony that she is actually using the dragons as anti slavery. Yeah. It but is. I'm not sure that the faceless men would Maybe not understand, but maybe not be willing to put that much that faith new one. In, yeah, that new one in her to the yeah. dialogue. I think that they would probably be thinking, well, she might be a good dragon owner, but what about the next one? And what about the one after that? Yeah, sure. All it takes is one, you know, well, bad actor. Well, yeah, and exactly. look, she's got three dragons, and as far as anyone knows, 
uh, a person, a Targaryen, whoever, can control one dragon at a time. They bond with one dragon. There's, I mean, from the history that we know, there's never been anyone that had multiple dragons. So Danny's got three, and she's probably bonded with Drogon. You know, who's going to control those other two dragons? And that would be the point. And right now, you know, with the Hellhorn, we're poised to find out <laughs> who finds that out. Yeah. So, or who's going to be controlling those two dragons you know that's she can change her mind too yeah. she can stop being good with the dragons yeah she could easily. That's yeah the fear. Yeah. yeah 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 easily because she's human and it's you know she presumably has free will although mm-hmm. <laughs> determinism <laughs> yeah, that was we our, pre- about our that previous earlier. conversations <laughs> we walked through the forest maybe it's all predetermined right. but we <laughs> really quickly uh before you change subject i just want to do you think that the hellhorn is to control dragons i'm looking at both of them by the way yeah well that's what it supposedly for so you know it's difficult there's probably a twist right there's Mm. probably something that's being withheld by george it could be something the mad you know the magic victorian might try and claim the horn as it says it's not who blows it but who claims it what you know what does that mean what, what's the practical how does he it? do <laughs> that i know like is is like he's told he tells him makoro tells him to claim it with blood so like mm. does that mean that like you have to smear blood on it mm-hmm. or make a blood sacrifice or does it mean something like say like the elder wand mm-hmm. do you have to kill the previous owner right that's a really common fantasy trope and so but if that's the case, and maybe Euron's the previous owner, well, they're they're two, you know on opposite sides of the world right now. So I don't see how they, they change that effectively. So Euron is still the owner, I would think, but I don't know. I feel like Makoro knows a lot mm-hmm. that he's not telling. So whatever is being withheld by George is in story is being withheld by Makoro. Mm-hmm. I think he knows what's exactly what's going to happen with that thing. Maybe we'll get a Makoro POV. I would love that. That would be pretty <laughs> unbelievable. I would love Maybe he's that. the, uh, wouldn't he be the epilogue? That would be awesome. Yeah. Holy shit. That would be so cool. <laughs> and to see, like, see Victarion through Makoro's eyes, too, as he, oh, yeah. he understands all these other things that we presume he may understand, yes. and then how he views Victarion walking around, strutting Mr. around. Victarion. You know? I think that would be such a cool point of view on that character. <laughs> see him as small and silly, probably. Yeah. I, I see you. So I see you in my flames with carry on. <laughs> we don't want to become a discussion about Victorian because that could be very. <laughs> that would be, you guys want to, that sure. would be a very long sideways. Well, what I was going to ask a little bit earlier, kind of going back to Daenerys and the dragons and Marwyn, I think something interesting about this chapter is we've spent so long hearing about Marwyn coming up in all these little different moments, mm-hmm. and then we finally get to meet him, and then two pages later, he's sprints off gone. and he's, he's gone. gone right and so i guess my question for us to kind of talk a little bit about is what his motivations are and what mm. his point as we're talking about dragons and who thinks we should keep them and who thinks we shouldn't and kind right. of their people's own personal goals with this huge power mm-hmm. what marwin and his role and that might be as he sprints off seemingly after understanding more information that he didn't have before or he got some sort of confirmation, whatever that was, yeah. not sure. But if he has the glass candle, what did he learn that 
he couldn't have deduced. understood before. I'm right. not sure. But whatever it was, it was enough for him to, to <laughs> immediately leave. leave. So was it Eamon's conviction that it, Danny? It was Eamon's influence about the, um, that he yeah, believed that he wouldn't that have the, known that through the glass candle. Basically, the Azora High figure is Daenerys, mm-hmm. and Marwyn is very skeptical of prophecy, but at the same time, I think you know he finds it alluring, and he's that type of character. From what we know about him in the books, he's taught Miri Mazda how to speak the common tongue. He's taught he's talked with Kyburn about his weird necromancy fantasies or whatever it is. So he, he's someone that you know likes to indulge in the weirder kind of he things. He has a very open mind about yeah, you know magic and darkness and alternative ways of viewing things. Yeah. Um would this be a good time to talk about our th- Marwin theory? Oh, good day. It's the perfect time, I would say. Your <laughs> <No> boy's blushing. <laughs> uh so we've talked about this a bunch of times on Radio Westeros that um so George has said, let me kind of preface this by saying um, that George has said that we will one day know everything that there is to know about Robert's Rebellion. Mm-hmm. But there's a gigantic blind spot in Dragonstone, what was happening on Dragonstone. Because everybody that was on Dragonstone is dead, mm-hmm. except for Danny, who was an infant. So how would we ever know what happened you know, what was going down on Dragonstone if we're supposed to know everything about Robert's Rebellion. But then you think about sort of like the invisible people, servants, blah, 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 and maesters. So the Targaryens would have had to have a maester at Dragonstone. Somebody yeah. delivered baby Danny, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then you don't ever hear who that was. It's never mentioned. It's kind of, I feel like purposefully... Um, cloaked because by the time Stannis gets to Dragonstone and takes over, Crescent comes with him from Storm's End and right. becomes the maester at Dragonstone. So whoever was there previously, and usually the maester stays with the castle. We see that time and again. Somebody comes in, takes over. They, you know, Theon takes over Winterfell. Maester Lewin stays there. He's like, I serve the castle. So where did that guy go that delivered Danny, who mm-hmm. is the Dragonstone maester? Yeah, and who was he? Who was who it? Who was he? And if he was. Uh, the same per I mean, it, it, it almost certainly would have been the maester who was serving Rhaegar because actually that was Rhaegar's residence. So the idea that, um, you know, Rhaegar's maester was privy to all of his ideas about prophecy and everything like that, um, and then was there with Rayella and delivered Danny and then poof disappeared. So you look around at who could be who could fit that bill, and we wonder if it could if Marwin could be because he did sort of leave Westeros and go to Ashai, right? Yeah. Traveled there. That's where he met Miri Mastor at some point, and you know maybe that was about fifteen years ago when yeah. that maester dropped out of sight. Um, I don't know. It just would be a really interesting thing. It'd be a really cool twist to add him in because he would have so much knowledge of what Rhaegar was up to and the prophecies that he was... And of Rhaella. And of course of Rhaella. Yeah. Someone that Danny barely thinks well, yeah. about. So we want to know, 
you know, which character can for Danny? Yes. Provide so if he's going to be with Danny, he could tell her about her mother. He could tell her about her her brother. Um, he can tell her lots of stuff about her family heritage and maybe about prophecies. It would explain this bitterness. Might about be. prophecy. Yeah, he's yes. so he bitter. seems to be yeah. someone that's experienced the wrong end of a prophecy the gone wrong for yes. a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And to see things just continue to happen, even yeah. though a prophecy says it's going to be a certain way, and to mm-hmm. still believe. Right. And he's probably hates himself for still believing, mm-hmm. but he's probably seen enough to know that it's worth believing in. Yeah. If you've been to a shy, you know. Yeah. If you've been there, what's, I mean, you have to believe in something weird. And yeah. It, it, it know, is weird incarnate. Maybe the whole story about Danny finally, like, it could have been one of those moments when everything sort of fell into place for him. Like all of a sudden he was like, oh, like you know how Danny in the House of the Undying, she had that vision of Rhaegar and it kind of seemed like he saw her. Yeah. There was this weird like Which moment. Part? So she goes in and she sees um, Ilya's in bed with the baby uh-huh. and Rhaegar is playing his harp. And then he looks at the doorway where she's standing and he says, oh, the dragon has three heads. There must be one more. But it's like he really actually, they their eyes connect. It's a weird thing. So if he's spoken about that to his maester, and if, you know, that maester is Marwyn, you know, at some point, Marwyn could have been like, oh, it all makes sense now. Hmm. You know, it was her all along, blah, blah, blah. And that could explain his rush off to, you know. He does sort of drop everything he does it's it's almost like he's such a a character filled with so much mystique that george built it up over a few books oh there's a mystical Mm. character called marwin and then we meet him and it's like peak excitement and then he gets ripped away like no you can only actually can't really learn that much about this guy he's got to leave now he knows too much info (laughs) and he's too much of an insider so he can't just be a random maester right he's got to be someone who has knowledge of Mm -hmm. stuff and maybe it's really pertinent stuff like that what's what's his what's he gonna do when he meets danny what's the what's the literary purpose of putting these two characters together so the theory doesn't have much evidence, but it makes sense in that way where he could provide a lot of cool information if that was true. I love that. Totally. No, yeah. Well, I was thinking about something similar but totally different, but along the same kind of line of he has this glass candle that we know allows him to see things. And so I was thinking more of instead of him actually being there, maybe he mm. had access to some sort of mm. visions that helped him kind of understand mm-hmm. what was happening there, which then he can fill Danny in. But I like this yeah. idea of, like we've been saying, exposition and kind of filling in the backstory coming from somewhere other than mm. Bran seeing it a million miles away and us right. relaying the info to the reader. Mm-hmm. Instead, we get another touch point to kind of look back into the past. That's kind of how yeah. I was thinking, but this, a similar outcome though right. with him sharing this information right finally and this has that personal connection though that would explain like that a lot warm. of his bitterness yeah. and his yeah. willingness to rush and out his the door. headlong rush off to slavers totally because <laughs> so, that was pretty weird so you don't think that it could potentially be a little misleading because there's there's potential for when i read this i can see both sides of what he's saying as mm. he describes the gray sheep as being the bad guy you he could be the bad guy yeah, he could be the bad guy, and they could be trying to do the normal thing, and yeah. he, he could have his own agenda. He could, he could be aware of the power that's possible, 
because he's in this place if he's willing to be someone like Euron because he's using the same technology and mm-hmm. he's been to the same places. It's it's possible that he could be trying to seize power in some way on his own and maybe this rush out of the door when he hears information that we seem what we think that he might have mostly known of course apart from the Aemon the personal stuff with Aemon then um, maybe this is a good way to sort of make Sam continue to do what he wants him to do mm-hmm. at the Citadel and to get out of his way and mm-hmm. allow Pate and allow yeah. Alaris Sorella to, to do it could 100% be a twist but you think it's less likely I think it's less likely I just feel like I feel like he's significant enough I mean look He's first mentioned in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So obviously George put a lot of setup into this character. He's in Game of Thrones, he's in a Storm of Swords, and then he, and then you know you he's in the he's mentioned in the prologue of Feast and then there you finally meet him right at the end of Feast. That's a lot of setup for someone to just be a minor random character or just spend you know, two he, pages with or three yeah, pages I mean, with. Yeah. So his dash off page all of a sudden is like all right this guy means something number one he's and he means something that's enough that we got to keep him still kind of cloaked but um i want you guys to be thinking about him Mm -hmm. and Uh, what he's doing and where he's going to pop up next even up to the description of his face it seems to me that George really wants him to stand out mm-hmm. for us to remember. Well, mm-hmm. There's, you know, 2,000 characters, but this guy, don't forget about him, you know. He's right. very himself while he's yeah. doing he's like all these things. He's so yeah. himself. Yeah. He's, he's, very, yes. he's a very proactive character, and he could probably steal a scene and, you know, change someone's arc very quickly because mm-hmm. he, he's so proactive, you know, he's got this gravitas about him. That he can, you know, change someone's story a bit like Makaro or someone like that. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I think he's going to be an important guy. I'm going to read the mentions of him because we keep glossing over it. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to read it for everyone at home that doesn't have a Before encyclopedic you read that, memory you, of yeah. all of his you mention that appearances. he keeps company of whores and hedge wizards? Uh, he, That's he, usually he's surrounded by. Good. I mean, that just it further continues the rock and roll narrative. I just wanted to put that in <laughs> there before we talk about all the stuff he did. There you go. <laughs> Marwitz traveled lands beyond the narrow sea. Caramere was there in his travels. Marwitz spent eight years in the east mapping distant lands. Okay, so in Game of Thrones, uh, Miri Mazder mentions to Daenerys Targaryen that she was taught about human anatomy by a maester named Marwen. And probably much more. <laughs> Storm of Swords conversation with Jamie Lannister, Kyburn explains how he came to believe in the possibility of ghosts and mentions that all of the Archmaesters only, of all the March Archmaesters, only Marwyn gives any matter, gives the matter any thought. Okay. Hmm. I'm trying to read sideways. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Leo Tyrell tells the group of novices oh, and there's there's Leo, tells the group of novices and acolytes assembled at the Quill and Tankard <laughs> <laughs> Leo Tyrell tells the group of novices and acolytes assembled at the Quill and Tankard that Marwyn believes the tales of dragons are true and that he has managed to light an obsidian candle. Leo refers to Marwyn as the Mastiff and says that the Menagerie, other Archmaesters, hate him. I'm in trouble with that Archmaester. He want to call him Marchmaester. (laughs) 
Asha Greyjoy finds Lord Roderick Harlaw reading Marwyn's book, The Book of Lost Books, in the Book Tower. <laughs> George. The Book of Lost Books in the Book Tower. The reader. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. The reader, yeah. Okay, so I get it. It's the same thing with the candle. Where's the, how does fire get its power? Okay. Where's the dragon get its flame? Okay. Okay. It's like a, it's like a, a vortex. Okay. Or a snake eating. It's me plugging this mic cable into itself. Ouroboros. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes. At Marwin's request, Alaris brings Samuel Tarly to meet with Marwin after talking to him at the Seneschal's court. Marwin listens to Samuel's story and then declares that he is off to meet Daenerys Targaryen. He orders Samuel to keep quiet about Daenerys. We just read this. What am I? Mm -hmm. What? Sorry, I'm just, I was focused on not making a reading error that I totally blocked out what the actual fact was. Anyway, <laughs> those are the mentions of Marwan. That's so everything. Far. Seemingly yeah. shrouded in strange situations, as we were kind of talking about earlier. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. he tends to show up small in weird but combos. Really important mentions, though. Really yes. important ones. And they're yeah. deep. He sounds really cool. And here we, we get to mm-hmm. meet him swaggering, chewing on sour leaf. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if he taught Mary Masdor about. About anatomy, and then he was talking to Kyburn, and what is Kyburn? You know, Frankenstein, <laughs> Miri you know? and Kyburn. Well, yeah, what what's a... left? Melisandre right. and Makoro. <laughs> right. That's it. Yeah, Quaith. Right. What? I'm sure he knows Quaith. If he knows Quaith, sure. then yeah. what the hell is going on here? That's all I have to say. Yeah. Well, they've both been to a show. They've both so been to a show. If you think, Melisandre. Yeah, so. Melisandre. They're all pals. It's yeah, a small world, isn't it? it? Well, they all have access to some sort of visionary yep. thing, you know? It's like how pilots, people have their pilot's license, like hang out at airport, like these weird airports off the grid. It's like yes. Little gas stations for planes that none of us have access to. Yeah. Right. They're doing that with glass candles yeah. in the nether sphere. <laughs> right. On <laughs> the weirwood net. like, oh. Under the roots. Oh, hey, Mel. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Nice right. to see you here. Oh, yeah. oh how's it going? Oh, what kind of stuff you've been seeing God. lately? Yeah, like. What are you seeing up there? Oh, only snow? Yeah. <laughs> Lots of snow. That's all I see. Okay, that's cool. Okay, that's neat. I'm looking forward mm. to, as with everybody, um, ascending in the same place, looking for Daenerys. Mm-hmm. What that at what point he'll arrive kind of in because the battle's about to break there. Everything's about like all hell's about to break loose there. So mm. yeah. at and, what point and does even he arrive? We saw how dangerous the waters outside, you know, yeah. the red wine straits, yeah. how dangerous it is going to be for him to get out there. But, you know, I'm assuming he finds a way through. Totally. Like I feel, I feel like what we said, he's an important guy. I don't think he's just going to, you Die. know. Yeah. No, not like that. I was and, worried about that. Yeah. I was worried that what we might be talking about, all this momentum in our conversation mm. might be foiled by Euron. Right. And Mar- Marwin might become a tool for him to yeah. come right back into Old Town. You know how Euron loves his his wizards and, and who's priests. who's more powerful and than this guy. Right. right. Yeah. Wouldn't that be much like George to just twist our guts like that, to give us this guy to look forward to, to give us this yeah. sort of epic and heroic introduction with Sam, to march out of the door because he's going to go make something happen. I'm going to go right to Daenerys and I'm going to tell her everything. Guess what? I helped deliver her the whole thing. And yeah. then Euron catches, catches him. him. You know, to, to feed on that, when Sam is thinking about what to do with Gilly, he, he thinks about sending her back on the cinnamon wind and thought, you know, they'll keep her safe and maybe getting out of Westeros is the best thing for her because there's going to be a war here. But he thinks about how, you know, when they first, when they came through on the inbound journey, um, the Ironborn left them alone because they're afraid, you know, they, they wanted tamer prey. They didn't, they, 
really didn't want to tangle with the Summer so Islanders. Cool. Mm-hmm. And side note, in a minute, I want to talk about Sam and his arrow, but... <laughs> um, but I think that then he's thinking basically what Sam settles on is that it's tempting fate. You know, he has this really in-depth kind of debate with himself where he's like, yeah, we made it past the Ironborn that one time, but what happens if you're, if they're going back and maybe now the Ironborn, there's more of them, or maybe, you know, maybe the the winds die and they are becalmed and they're like sitting ducks. And I just, I read that and I was like, oh. Oh God, I hope that's not like some kind of George foreshadowing, foreshadowing of yeah. what actually does happen. Marwin. And the next time we actually see Marwin is, you know, he's tied to Euron's masthead or something, right. you know? Well, there's ideas too, though, potentially that Euron has access to a glass candle sure. already, but sure. maybe mm-hmm. as he's like, has all these other like Valyrian tokens, like that might be something in his, um, arsenal already and so maybe he already has some sort of connection with marwin because they're able to communicate Mm. or something in that way potentially already tying them together gas station in the sky yeah Yeah, exactly exactly. talking to each other pilot's lounge i don't know yeah but so if that's happening weird and they're not on the same team Mm. him doubling up his abilities basically Mm. having a guy on his side that it seems like Marwin's able to do what he wants to do in Old Town. If if his story is right and he's really against the Gray Sheep, but he's still an Archmaester, mm. then how come this is happening in this way? You bring him back into town. He's got the run of the place. He's the one that's basically responsible enough and has, knows enough of the lay of the land to have a faceless assassin in his chamber, to have Leo Tyrell in his chamber, which can't say much for Leo, but he was there. And to have a lit glass candle just openly going, surrounded mm. by books, this is like the 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 hippie establishment of the, yeah. of, of the future <laughs> right. truthers. Yeah, and I assume that they're not going into people's dreams and making bad stuff happen. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, if the story's right and they're just learning and trying to explore and figure stuff out, this is like the ground floor of that movement. I feel like having someone, if you're trying to take over Old Town, if you're trying to get in on Leighton High Towers plan. Having this guy on your side is going to make it even better. Will mm-hmm. he need him? I don't know. If he, is he using the same technology as him? It seems mm-hmm. like he is. But I feel like it's going to make it easier mm-hmm. if they capture him and go back into Old Town. Yeah. I, I mean, what if they're not? What if what if Euron doesn't have a glass candle, but it, it's capturing Marwyn that puts one in his hands? Or, yeah. or maybe he's mm-hmm. maybe he's aware of the existence of right. this glass candle, and that's actually his goal. What does that do for the... The rest of the story and the rest of everyone's, I guess, uh, theories about how much Euron has been playing with people with the glass candle. If it, if Euron doesn't have one, he knows about one, hmm. wants to find one, uh, wants to talk to people who have them and to squeeze out all their, their plans and memories and all the stuff that they know. Who else would have been manipulating dreams and or mm. why, or I guess the the stuff with Bran especially in, in Game of Thrones, um, was it dream manipulation or are we just being mm. uh, suspicious based off of this chapter? What do you think, Matt? Are you talking about Bran's coma dream? Yeah. Yeah, that seems to be... A direct, someone's toying with them, right, in some way? Yeah, that, that that's Blood Ravens... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, communicating to him and trying to get him to head towards his fate and tra- right. train with him. He's like, uh, he wants Bran to be his protege and 
he wants to be the mentor. So he's kind of calling him from afar. So we've made that for sure. Everyone knows because of the direction that he's headed and because of the style of the communication and the way that he chose to talk to him. We all agree that that's Blood Raven. Yeah, I think so. So are there any other theories that come to mind? I was more so referencing the style of what's happening to Bran where where Euron has been doing the same thing to other people maybe. Mm. No, but I will mention that in Daenerys' final chapter, which you're going to come to Mm -hmm. in your reread soon, she she sees Quaith's face Mm. and she says, I can't remember what she says, but she gives her some advice. And it says her her mask was made of starlight. So she's she's basically having a waking dream and seeing Quaith talking to her from the stars. So so that sounds very much to me like the description of the glass mm-hmm. candle mm-hmm. Yeah. in this chapter where Marwin says, you know, you can put, insert yourself into someone's mm-hmm. consciousness or dreams or what, however he describes it. And the but, light is changing. Yeah. Mm. And starlight would be so like chromatic in that it basically represents the entire spectrum of color. Yeah. And she's sort of, you know, tri- tripping a bit. Seeing she, yeah, she's, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I would describe it. It's usually I, how I describe it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it, it could be that she's just sick and that she's, but in the context of learning about the glass candle, it sounds very much like Quaith is there doing that to her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Quaith has access to one. Do you think she's in Karth or something or she has her own? I don't know. I mean, she obviously, she's got to have one because she keeps showing up in Danny's point of view and not actually being there. I mean, like, what, three times, four times? Uh, once yeah. on the ship and at least once, maybe twice in uh, oh, yeah, in Marine. She comes to the garden once or twice in Marine. She's, she's not actually, in, she's, not in the garden. she's not in the garden. She's not, she's not ever not there. Yeah, no one it. ever sees her. She's, <laughs> she's never there. She just, she comes, she, she talks. She start because Jura sees her when they first. Oh yeah, when they first the meet first her. First out of in, in the In the city, but, in yeah. the Peach City, and yeah. then whatever that's called. In Marine, it but, definitely in says that the, the gods didn't see no. her and on in. the ship, she was definitely not there. Right. Yeah. I mean, how would she be? <laughs> but then Good my swimmer. question my question yeah. with all that kind of stuff then is so Obviously. what you know so Quaith is showing up in Daenerys's dreams and we've got Marwyn seemingly bopping around mm-hmm. and potentially you know doing mm-hmm. the same thing I think we know the, we know the style in which it's happening to some degree yeah but mm. so what's the point we can identify from the past and the story where this has happened or in this case with Danny, we can identify, we can safely say maybe she's not just simply tripping, but she's being manipulated in some way by someone. Yeah. And so we can kind of reverse engineer to some degree who's doing this and why they're doing it. And it seems like they share common themes. A lot of it has to do with the shy, et cetera. Mm. So it's like, who has this power? Why are they all doing it? And who's aware of it? Who's seeking it? As we're discussing, Euron might be. See, for me, I feel like I've read theories and I've had just sort of thoughts that never really coalesced. Like, okay, Euron's doing this too. Mm. But now the more we talk, it seems like mm, maybe he's not. Yeah, yeah, maybe he's not. I think it's, maybe it's, not. it's easy with Euron to sort of... Put more on every, him. Yeah, yeah, everything I've read about Euron in theory-wise has always been, you know, quite far-fetched when sure. you look at it. Yeah. When you look at the actual evidence, he's just one of those characters where, you know, George is really encouraging us to, you know, let our imaginations run riot. But 
probably only a fraction of it is actually mm. accurate. Really. I think yeah. he's just a player. I think he's really good at manipulating situations to his advantage and he lies constantly, but mm-hmm. he's really smart um, about using, you know, whatever advantage he can. He's got really strong instincts. He does. It's probably yeah. how he was able to survive in a place like Valeria, but I've always thought that he probably sacrificed other people's bodies mm-hmm. ahead of him to yeah. make, that, make that be a reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. He would have no qualms about that. I just, this is my only like pessimistic view of this whole thing, but we've got, you know, these other magics happening at a seemingly high level. We've got Mm. all this manipulation happening at a seemingly high level. And I just, my only, I don't want it to be one of those quick and easy fixes that near the end of the story, it's like, oh, well, um, Marwin was doing this the whole time and, you know, he's the guy. And so that's it kind of thing. You know what I mean? Mm. Kind of the same for like Blood Raven, like, yeah, yeah. All all yeah. this magic is coming into play seemingly near the end of the story, and so how does this actually um, tie everything up with the pretty bow without it just feeling like, like I said, like a cheap trick? What, what mm-hmm. if Glass Candles like going forward when, when the others are coming and you know humanity has to band together? What if Glass Candles become like a telephone, <laughs> yeah, you know, like a video chat, so people can communicate and band together and organize from, and that takes the distance factor mm-hmm. distance, out right. of it, and it just would allow George to do more more but things without quickly. without being sort of oh no these two these people are too far apart they couldn't meet up so yeah. here's a question though because and i actually think we touched on this a little while ago but if you get um quaith communicating with danny via a glass candle and marwin wants to be with danny when he has a glass candle like why does he Bingo. leave why doesn't he just stay there and like Get in touch with Danny and be like, mm-hmm. hey, whatever, well, I, whatever, I need I, to tell you. Like, I think he wants to be her maester, foremost. Yeah. He wants yeah. to, that is what oh, Eamon was saying. Oh, because he was saying. the maester that Eamon was saying, Danny needs yeah. a maester. Yeah. She's right. going to be this yeah. great savior, but she needs a maester. Yeah. And Marwin is is thinking, I hey, better be the perfect. guy. Yeah. <laughs> no, it I've isn't. I've been waiting for this. Yeah. You know, <laughs> talk about assembling the team because it's one thing that she doesn't have. She's had all, she's kind of like been assembling all the trappings of power, mm-hmm. of Westerosi power. You know, now she's got Barristan as her King's Guard and stuff, or Queen's Guard. Um, but the one thing she doesn't have right now is a maester. Um, to instruct her on all of the things that, you know, all the things maesters do. And they're probably, you know, they're the chief advisor pretty much for the the kings of Westeros. Yeah, so. there's so many issues that they could help. I mean, she she will at some stage have Tyrion for dragon law. Mm-hmm. But the, yeah, there's so much she's got that her Tyrion, even Tyrion doesn't know that a maester would know. So. Right. Do you get your hand of the queen, which mm-hmm. would be Tyrion? Yeah. You got your lord commander of the queen's guard, Barristan, and... Well, you know, she needs a maester. What about Jorah? Jorah, I don't know. Jorah's just an admirer. Yeah, he'll just sulk. Gotta have plenty of those. Well, we've actually, yeah, that's a a whole other different story. But (laughs) imagine when Victarion, Jorah, and Dario... Oh, oh are yeah. in the same room because that's mm-hmm. about to happen. Yeah. The Spider Man's pointing at each other, mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, one of them has to, they've got to, like, I don't know. I, someone's going to not survive that. I just, or it's going to go very badly. So I don't know. So that's interesting. So he's basically saying uh, there's some kind of a pantheon in some way. And it's George, I mean. And then so yeah. Marwin, to some degree, sees value in it enough to add mm-hmm. himself to that 
that build of the of the actual court right. to create the spearhead that makes a difference in the world. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, so do you think he just overlooked? Like the thing you brought up, I thought is that's really important that he mm-hmm. had that glass candle sitting there in the room, surrounded by books and papers. Yeah, glowing, ready, already yeah. on. He could have just been like, "Hey, Danny, yeah, I'm on my way." To some yeah. degree, to some you know, degree, like, yeah, something. Like send her a message, let her know. I mean, it could be cryptic or it could not be cryptic. Like I don't know if you have to talk like in circles yeah. like Quaithe does. Maybe he's already know. doing that. We just don't know yeah. about it. The stuff with Quaithe is it makes it seem like she's trying to give Danny as much of a choice as possible by while telling her exactly what to do. And mm-hmm. I guess in some way and that'll be important in some mm-hmm. way. Maybe it helps retains order or, mm-hmm. or, uh, or maybe they know in a shy and maybe they know in the House of Black and White um, that too much influence creates right. a disharmony and it yeah. starts to, you you can't really make a long-term plan and manipulate lots of different nodes if you're manipulating one specifically too much. So they try to keep a balance by being, mm-hmm. which is probably the reason they would rather like silently take out the dragons than go kill whoever is has the dragons. Yeah, Let's just silently get rid of this superpower and then we can help retain balance. I forget what the the mantra is for. Uh, uh, it's not only death can pay for life. It's the the House of Black and White's mantra. Is it? That's that's a uh, um, that's a red faith that, thing, right? That's something that Mary says. Okay, yeah. So it's just a sort the, of idea. Yeah, but she might have got that from a shy. It's sure. just a magical, uh, sacrificial saying mm. of some sort. In a, in a kind of. I mean, it may, you have to work to make something cool. And mm-hmm. so that work is that death. So you can apply that metaphor in many other mm-hmm. situations. So I'm just curious about the balance that they seek and whether or not they're going after the dragons for that reason to sort of take that possibility out of there. But um, I don't know. It seems like all these things are connected in some strange way. And if you're not being forthcoming with Danny when you have the technology to appear in the sky like Mufasa, surrounded by stars, <laughs> right. and to go, I'm telling you something very straight up. But as you said, Matt, she did really – just come kind of straight up with with her recommendations. She mm-hmm. was just like, well, this is what I think you should do. So I don't know. Is that when she said you must go east to go west? You must go east? I, I don't recall. I haven't read that chapter for yeah. a while. But well, she, uh, you guys are going to read it and you'll tell yes. us. Well, <laughs> report we'll back. give you the breakdown in a couple weeks. <laughs> yes. yeah. I, I think that that was in a previous chapter, but I, I do wrong. too. Yeah. How am I supposed That's to remember? That's her advice. This is a yeah. lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff, and she now is appearing for a whole new technology. See, to me, have you guys ever played The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time? Yes. You know Sheik? Which one's that one? Uh, the Spoiler alert, everyone. Turn off the podcast if you've never played Zelda and you care that much. <laughs> Sheik, you know who later turns out to be Zelda? Oh, okay. With the, with the Deku Nut. She throws the Deku nut and disappears. Right. Oh, okay. Sheik is like, I thought that that, in my mind, Quaith is always just Sheik. Yeah. <laughs> just, just ha- has the acrobaticness and uh, uh, intelligence of the land. Yeah. Right. So years later in the story, uh, Link is put in a time capsule from when he's a kid and he comes out as an adult. And there's this really uh, smart, kind of like how the Sphinx is in this chapter to Sam, character that's like i'm gonna show you around things are crazy the whole world you need changed. a guide exactly yes. yep really capable so i just assume that the quaith is really athletic <laughs> got up to the <laughs> top of the pyramid but it's totally different now yeah. so physically appearing in non 
I mean, in non-physical form, in a very physical-seeming way, that's mm. pretty powerful. And I wonder whether or not if you have more strength in the use of the glass candle, you can make more sense of it and mm. make more sense to the people that you're trying to, to channel. I wonder what it's like to be able to see through space and time if you can, if it has the same sort of uh, vein of connection that the Werewood Network has. Yeah, that's Monster. what I'm wondering. As I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about, you know, does it go in every direction and it would kind of have to like you see the past and you can see mm-hmm. the future probably depending and, on your ability yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh, so like the weirwood i mean it's just another technology like that and like that you know that tv show devs that we were talking about mm-hmm. before that that was the problem with that technology it, it started as a way to maybe peer into the past but then they realized that Naked it, women. it just it's a circle <laughs> yeah. time is a flat circle no. uh, it makes me think HBO about like stuff. Oh, you think about like Melisandre what she could do with something like a glass candle just because she has so much experience I know that staring into the flames is a little bit of a different technology but mm. it's like the her, old version well right like <laughs> yeah. if her technology was a little bit more powerful mm-hmm. she might have more I mean she seemingly is yeah. has a decent track record so but could yeah. up her game a little for so, sure. She's good. She sees the right things in the flame, but she's always, she's always wrong. But that's not, it's not that she saw the wrong thing. She right. saw Interpreting the thing. it wrong. She's just like, yeah, that guy in green, that's definitely Renly. Nope, wasn't Renly. Sorry. <laughs> uh, oh, that girl in gray, definitely Arya. Nope, right. sorry, not Arya. Oh, if she had like a, you know, bright, like a clearer picture with this glass candle, she yeah, might better exactly. be able to interpret. It's like she's, it's like a cassette versus a CD. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> She always picks the coolest option too. It didn't have to be Arya. She's like, oh, but it's totally Arya. It's right. The Arya. Yeah. It doesn't have to be the coolest option. It could just be another thing. That's very interesting. Hmm. I, I think it's really interesting that that's how the book ends. Like Feast for Crows isn't full of magic and wonder right. and mystique, is it? Mm. It's very, you know, the aftermath of war. Mm-hmm. The themes are you know, more traditional Mm. and, you know, it's written in a different kind of style from some of the other books. And that's how we end it. George is sort of wafting this bit of magic towards us and saying, you know, this is what's coming up. It's going to be a a lot more mystical in the future and just gives us a little taste to get us excited. I kind of like that. And the, the bookend with the prologue and the, and yeah. the final chapter being both in the same place. Mm-hmm. It's just so exciting for Sam to find. I know we already talked about yeah. this, but just to add another point to that is just how exciting it is to have Sam at the center. I the love. Sun, he's going to learn so much, you know? He's going to soak it all up as quickly as he can. And I just, I love that guy. And now he gets to be in this cool place. I'm so happy for him. I'm going to read this breakdown. This is what Sam has gone through to get us to this point. This is what he told. Sam chewed on the question for a moment, wondering how much he ought to say. The Sphinx is the riddle, not the Riddler. Could Maester Eamon have meant th- this Sphinx? It seemed unlikely. Lord Commander Snow sent him away to save his life, he began hesitantly. He spoke awkwardly of King Stannis and Melisandre of Ashai, intending to stop at that. But one thing led to another, and he found himself speaking of Mance Raider and his wildlings, King's blood and dragons. And before he knew what was happening, all the rest came spilling out. The whites at the fist of the first men, the other on his dead horse, the murder of the Lord Commander... The Blackbird, sorry, I skipped. <laughs> the murder of uh, the old bear, the murder of the old bear at Craster's Keep, Gilly in their flight, White Tree and Smallpaw, Cold Hands and the Ravens, John becoming Lord Commander, the Blackbird, Darren, Bravos, 
The dragon Zondo saw in Karth, the cinnamon wind, and all that Maester Aemon whispered toward the end. He held back only the secrets that he was sworn to keep about Bran Stark and his companions and the babes Jon Snow had swapped. Daenerys is the only hope, he concluded. Aemon said that Citadel must send her a Maester at once to bring her home to Westeros before it's too late. And now he's from from the wall to Old Town in a, yeah. wait, in a waiting room. Yeah. Pretty cool. Just sitting in a waiting room. Yeah. Waiting for the What were you going to say about his longer. arrow earlier? Oh. Well, this was, this was just kind of like part of the Sam improvement arc, you know. As they're coming in, they're coming through the red wine straits on the approach and they get, you know, uh, an ironborn longship starts starts to tail them. And the archers, the summer islanders, stand up with their big giant bows and they draw, they wait until the, the uh, ship, the long ship is within 200 yards and they loose and the, and the arrows all fall into the incident and they, they turn around and leave because yeah. they're like, uh, too much. Don't, don't want to deal Tame with this. Tamer prey. Tamer prey. So Sam thinks that his arrow made it. And do you remember when he was back at the wall, John used to, used to force him to do archery practice mm-hmm. and he could never shoot the damn arrow. He was always like, you know, crying about his finger. It makes my fingers hurt. <laughs> Can I just go read in the cellars? Like he just, he was awful. Like, I don't even think he could hit the target. He was horrible at it. Like uh, and now all of a sudden in the Sam improvement arc, mm-hmm. he shot a giant golden heart bow, an arrow, 200 yards. That's amazing. It That's is. 600 feet. That's so far. And it, made it yeah. like it hit the target yeah. and i was just like wow that's yeah. big that's a big change for him i was thinking that whenever he was um i forget the name of the castle at, at the the edge of the whispering sound that uh he and gilly were looking at at the beginning it's cost how it's costing 10 towers maybe or something three t- it's towers it's definitely this, towers definitely remember involved. i'm saying they see the house that's the seat of House Costain. And I have this kind of like really cool image because they describe it like with the lights in the windows. Corpses um, floating through the water. Just a call back to the whole book. Through the water. <laughs> I got the impression that. Three towers. Okay, three towers. Three okay. towers <laughs> somewhere else. Three really good ones. They've though. only got three though. I got the impression that his realization of the potential danger of old town being infiltrated by the Greyjoys mm. and of Cersei and those in charge in King La- King's Landing not doing enough to stop this from happening yeah. potentially yeah. becoming the infection that spreads to the rest of Westeros first mm. at a place like Horn Hill that's not too far away and then everything everything else i feel like he might be one of the only people thinking about it at this point and i yeah. feel like him making that shot and him I guess really we can just put it there. But the other um, examples y'all are using at the beginning of the, the mm. conversation about his, I guess, uh, the way that he's framing how he's thinking about taking care of Gilly. Mm. I'm afraid that it might be his responsibility, mm. partially, at least partially his responsibility to make sure that doesn't happen now. Yeah, now to see to the, he's not maybe just going to see to the defense of Gilly. Right. It might be, yeah. it might be a lot bigger than that. Cause he's and, thinking uh, about it. Yeah. I don't know who else is thinking about it. He's thinking They're about not. it. Cersei's not. And She's in I'll, charge. When he was having was. those thoughts about Gilly, honestly, I, w- I was reminded that he is Randall Tarly's son. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, 
you know, his father is, is really, uh, you know, he's known as a great commander, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, he, he's humorless and horrible and did terrible things to his own son. Yes. But, you know, in terms of, you know, military, um, you know, experience, he's, he's one of the best. And the other thing I was thinking about, and this is just maybe kind of an aside too, is that Randall Tarley is really tall. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we've ever been told that Sam is tall or isn't tall. And mm. I was wondering, cause all of a sudden I had this, I just had this mental image of Sam actually being really tall, like his father, maybe. And maybe that's why everybody still thinks of him as this kind of giant, like, right. you know, a black clad whale is what Leo calls him. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, he lost a lot of weight. He, he had to have, he, he talks about it. He mentions it a couple of times. Maybe he is just really like this six and a half foot like tall a big guy. guy. Like maybe never, he'll transform. They've never specifically said, and we all have a certain... Yeah, canon exactly because of the show. So yeah. we picture him as this kind of short, you know, roly poly guy. But maybe that's not how George pictures him. I don't know. So he might physically change whenever he's. I mean, that would that would give into the harmony that George often paints into scenarios, mm. and characters in a story. If and he if physically if, came into being the yeah. same time his brain sort of got there, yeah. And if he actually, it would be really ironic if he grows to be more like his father, like a good version of Randall yeah. Tarley. Right. You know, After like going. Isn't that what all of the characters are kind of exactly. leading in that direction. Yeah. And considering what his father did to get rid of him, because yeah. I don't, you're not my son. I don't want a son like you. If he comes back and he's like this, I don't know if he turns out to be like the savior of the reach. Right. You know, <laughs> imagine yeah. what his father would think. He'd be like, whoa. It's like some Tyrion kind of yeah. energy with his own father. Yeah. 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 It just seemed like it wouldn't be mentioned. It just didn't seem George's style, just going from book one to book four to book one to book five, book two to book five. These things that are little windows normally mm. have a – something comes back to it. Yeah. And he was just – he thought about it so clearly. I'm thinking, well, you know, you might just have to do that now. You yeah. might have to – that annoying thing of like, how are they going to do that? It might be something you're like, oh, I have to take care of now. Damn it. Now I have to do it. You, <laughs> exactly. you touched it last. It's exactly. yours. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like a fun idea when you're not involved at all, but when you're – at the point where Sam would be at, which is mm. not far from now, to like for it, he's probably gonna be in old town. Shit's gonna be going down. Some people are dead, maybe, maybe they're not. He knows a lot more because he's been around the situation, mm-hmm. literally traversed around the continent enough. They're probably gonna be like, "What do you think? Yeah. What should we do here?" And he's been through all that laundry list right. of uh, stuff mm-hmm. that he that he tells um, Alaris, you know, all those things preparing him. Um, for something, you know, for some, who's going to be better suited. Yeah, exactly. He's like, I came here to read all these books and for everyone to leave me alone. Exactly. Yeah. To learn. And then he's, he's thrust like, into, nah, that's, could be interesting. Yeah. That's not what you're going to do. So he's becoming like an unlikely hero. Mm-hmm. Like you're starting to see this guy has got the makeup of a hero, you know, but mm-hmm. it's an unlikely it one. He started off as this kind of craven coward that everyone picked on, and he's not going to end the book like that. He, he's mm-hmm. he's no. got a great arc. Unless yeah. he dies the way that we saw him transform with his mindset around Gilly that we were talking about at first, mm-hmm. it's not because he's gone through like a, a quest line and now he's been experience points and leveled up. The reason why he's standing on the side of the ship and thinking these things is because he's aware of these things. Right. That's the only reason he, he's thinking about it because he's gone through enough life to have these concerns and to think about it. Mm-hmm. So it's like it, it's like real life. It's like he doesn't have 
no one get, tells you you can now make a good decision or a bad decision about these people that you're taking care of. If you're taking care of these people and you're not aware of uh, like the scenarios, you're just going to – whatever's going to happen to you is going to happen to you. But if you're aware of what you can do, you're going to be thinking about it at some point. Right. You'll be standing alone at some point thinking to yourself, what should I do about this? Mm-hmm. And now you're that unlikely hero that – we were talking about like you're that person. And so if you're in the position to think about the realm in some objective way and you're comparing it to all these other options, who else are they going to ask? Who mm-hmm. who else is going to have the the right answer? And that's kind of the same situation uh, that got John to be picked for Lord Commander because it's like out of all of us, who's hmm. been doing all of these things right. and who, who can actually command the respect of these many people at one time? Yeah. Well, we just lost one, so if we're picking a new one. It's probably this guy. And who orchestrated that? Sam. <laughs> Who understood it? Who was right. there, exactly. you know, watching John and probably learning right along with him mm-hmm. to be to be fair and, you know, made that happen. Right. So, right. Yeah. You just kind of like go in. You, it's not like someone tells you you can now do this. It's just he's like he's done enough to where it's just he's at that point mm-hmm. now, it mm-hmm. seems. Sleeping so, with Gilly really. Yeah, it really did it, it really for him. really changed him. Right? Yeah, right? He made him a real man. Yeah. That's what's happening. Literally a manhood arc. I yeah. mean, there's no... George, George is like, how do I convey that this is a manhood mm-hmm. story? Oh, I know. Oh, yeah. actually make him a man. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Crazy. He's sad. Like, they, they pull up to old time. He's like, oh, man, it's over. The journey's yeah. over. And he just, like, feels a little sad. I was like, yeah. I don't know why you're sad, Sam. I don't want to get off this boat. I'm yeah. so many other people's <laughs> yeah. agendas. Think about all the other people he has to yeah. talk to, their plans, how my they want their lives to go. Too, you know? yeah. So much more simple. Just my girl and these people we've already met. I already know their whole deal. Yep. Don't have to do all that. He wants to be back at the wall telling his friends what he's being. <laughs> right, that too. exactly. That too. <laughs> at least have enough time to go tell them like what he did and then to go off and do his own thing again. Guys, he'll never believe it. <laughs> <laughs> How much would he give to be in the basement or in, in the, the library rather of Castle Black with a candle and just figuring out things instead of having to do them? Doesn't that sound nice? I don't know. He was, as we were talking about the beginning of the episode, as he's wandering through the streets of Old Town, he's like, no should have been doing this the whole time. But I hope no one recognizes yeah, me. I yeah, no yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's worse that they, is somebody that hates my father, yeah. someone that Such a lo- knows my feeling. father. Yeah. Like, so relatable. Like, uh, yeah. So is, on the same topic, is this what Sam needs to prove himself as a man, a showdown with Randall. Mm. Is that where we're headed with this? You know, he's going to study at the Citadel, but as well, is he going to confront his father in some way and sort of prove himself as a man somehow? Is that where Mm. this, like, arc we're talking about is headed? What do you think? I like the idea of that. Yeah, just because he's still so much in his head and so much... his self-doubt and like these other influences are mm. it's like when he's having that conversation with leo when he asks um this was going to be my own and so i haven't pulled up but he's leo he's like i'm sam i'm lord randall tarley's son and he's like are you still a craven weren't you so, like everyone thought yeah. you were dead is it because he wished that you were dead or because right. he wasn't you know so much about sam's where he is is about his father. And yeah, so I like right. this idea that he somehow... It would be like shedding a skin, yeah. you know, for him to yeah. grow further, mm-hmm. get rid of this, you know, the, these thoughts and this control that his father still has on him mm-hmm. after all this time. Yeah. I like the idea that maybe he, well, you know, in terms of him like stepping 
stepping up and taking responsibility. Maybe he goes to Horn Hill and that thing he was thinking about, oh, I'll inspect the uh, the defenses there and make sure it's suitable for right. Gilly. He doesn't think about his mom or you know, he's not like, I want right. to make sure my mom's safe. He's like, no, I want to make sure it's safe for Gilly. And if it's not, I'll take Gilly back to Old Town. Not my mom. Mm-hmm. I'll leave her there because whatever. But what if Sam, what if he does that? And in the process, he actually does something amazing and that results in saving Horn Hill or saving his mother or saving, yeah. you know, saving everybody. Right. And Randall Tarley kind of rolls up at the end and he's like, wait, you did this <laughs> Samwell? Yeah. You did he's not you? Gonna, that's not going to be enough. You know, it's like, got to be another book then yeah. after that. <laughs> I like that as an added piece to his whole. <laughs> it would just be the greatest. Manhood Sam journey. could just be yeah. like, yep. All right, I'm done with I feel like that would purge the whole Randall thing from him and mm-hmm. just be like, yeah. yeah. That would be cool. Every nerd with overbearing parents is right. like, please let this happen. <laughs> let that be the thing that happens. <laughs> yes. I'm afraid that he's going to be at the uh, in the position to choose whether or not Randall lives or dies or something. Mm. Oh, dark. In a scenario. Yeah. He's like, that's that's the person that did all this stuff to me, but mm. I'm on this side now that has more power in this scenario. Yeah. I think at that point he'd have to be inside of uh, Danny's club, I guess, at that point. Mm. If that, if she does end up coming and there there's fights in the reach like that, like we saw depicted in the show, then it could be a similar scenario. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's going to turn out that way, but yeah. it'd be cool to see Sam involved in that. Do you guys think that Sam will be involved with Danny in any way or if he's staying at Old Town? I'm not really sure. I think, you know, there's so much, because now you have Aegon too. Um, so I think a lot of the Reach lords are going to go over to Aegon. I mean, Sam actually thinks in this chapter, um, when they meet the the sort of guard ship, the Huntress outside uh, on the approach into Old Town, that guy, you know, is very bitter about Cersei. Yeah. And Sam is shocked. He thinks if King's Landing loses Old Town and the Arbor, the whole realm will fall to pieces. Well, I think that is exactly what's going to happen because you've got Aegon and there's a lot of, you know, theories that various friends in the Reach, whatever, you know, whoever they may be, I mean, it may not be specifically um, Old Town and the Arbor, although I think maybe it will be um, that, you know, at least abandon Cersei. and then I don't know how that plays into Danny. You know, she's not she's there. Not there. Yeah. She's mm-hmm. not there. So right now it's it it's gonna to appear to be a contest between Aegon and Cersei. Mm. And I think that's the way the chips are gonna fall, at least in the short term. Um, so Sam will be I uh, maybe I don't know, on whatever side makes sense for him to be on. Um, you know, let's say Euron and Cersei end up aligned you know he's probably not going to be on that side no so (laughs) couldn't imagine that so i guess i mean it's almost like am i saying sam's gonna like if he has to be on a side is it gonna be Aegon's side i don't know he's he's definitely i don't know if i would go out on that limb i don't know how we're gonna get no in one book Mm -hmm. because i feel like what we're talking about is post wins hello appearance of a kitty (laughs) Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like we need three. Right. At this point. It's going to be, yeah. We may not get all these answers for anytime soon. Unless Fagan's campaign mm. starts in King's Landing 
at the yeah. beginning of the next book. Mm-hmm. You know how it seems like it's going to build to that eventually yeah. being the goal. Mm-hmm. And so we've got one, we've got a dream of spring to mm. to extend whatever truth that is. But maybe they, maybe they perish at the end of winds. I don't know. Mm. I, I don't know how it's going to go. But it seems like a couple more books, judging by how his normal pace and flow of the yeah. POV goes. It's a lot to fit into two more books. It is a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> and very specifically – the the style in which he arcs these these yeah. points of view, right? It's, it, they don't normally go through multiple Titanic shifts. They go mm. through one good Titanic shift mm-hmm. each book, yeah, and then that's it. Yeah. So I don't know. I really don't know. Mm-hmm. I think things have to be pretty simple, relatively. You mm-hmm. know, I don't think s- things can get too convoluted because I just don't see where the page space exactly is right. going to come from. To yeah. explore, you know, multiple twists here and there. Mm. I think it's got to be more direct. Yeah, story. Well, we're gonna. He's gonna have to start killing people off. You know, pretty swiftly. POV POV yeah, characters. Or yeah, you know, them. you know, converging them. Yeah, yeah. Well, they are all. Yeah, a lot uh, of them are converging. They are. Yeah. When they are together, then you can lo- lose one here and there, and yeah. But if they're still alive, then you're left with the like. You know, let's say you got Arianne and John Connington and they're both still alive, but they're, they're converging in the same place. If you just abandons one of them, you would be left with this always sort of like wondering, I don't know. It just. Or like Tyrion and Danny when they're in yeah, the same all place. Yeah, that gets the POV. Do they both, you know, I mean, you've, you've had obviously instances where, where two people in the same place had a POV, but not in a. Not in a while. Or for such a long... Yeah, or for such a long and important stretch. Yeah. So it's just going to be interesting the way, yeah, it, the way it's all handled. It's, it just feels like it's at critical mass and mm. it, he needs to be really succinct to mm-hmm. pull this off and mm. I'm sure he will do it. I am yep. too. Yeah, yep. I am too. I just, I'm trying to use the math and figure out how it goes. It's like when you hear the soundtrack of uh, something before it comes out, you're like, judging by the music, this is how it's going to go. This is what's going to happen in the story. It's like that same sort of thing. He's got all these other books, and it seems like he is uh, really appreciative of the art form of making a book seem Mm. cool. And not just the way that he writes it, but the way that he sort of thematically follows a pattern throughout the publishing order. definitely. Pacing and and all of that. The way he's naming the chapters now. And so... Mm. Judging by that artistic flourish, it's like these next two books have got to be pretty massive. Yeah. Because he he likes to burn it out in a way that makes sense, not just give you the answer. Mm-hmm. Just straight up. He likes to yeah. ex- express the whole thing. And so many reveals are like a little bit from here and a little bit from there. And then all the different sides are coming in and information coming from various places um, that – it's uh, must be getting harder to weave that tapestry as everybody gets closer together and you get closer to the end game. What do you think the Citadel specifically is trying to build? And and why wouldn't we be able to trust, why wouldn't they trust Marwin and Eamon? Mm. Why is Eamon untrustworthy? Is it simply because of his blood? Because of his blood. Mm. And, and Marwin's not a Targaryen. So not that we know of. Not that we know of, but I feel like that's a pretty <laughs> Everyone, 25% chance that he is one. Well, according to Marwin, they're trying to build a, you know, a magic. A world without concrete magic. Concrete yeah. world where, you know, there's nothing mystical or. It's just science. It's, a, you know, and maybe it's the fantasy equivalent of um, 
the enlightenment, you know, the scientific revolution, you know, the age of enlightenment where, where in real life we gave up on sort of, I mean, we didn't, they didn't give up on religion, but they became very much more, um, everything was much more scientific, you know, in the, in that age, um, things were, you know, mysticism and, and superstition and things like that, that had driven human existence for millennia. Like they really didn't change much. The, you know, the human condition did not change very much until all of a sudden massive change with the advent of science and, and that sort of, you know, rational philosophy. So, you know, maybe this is the fantasy equivalent of that. You know, that's what the Citadel is trying to achieve. You know, so they really change things. They're aware of the existence of power in mm-hmm. some way, some mysterious power. And mm-hmm. they know that because they've chosen not to use it uh, to try to squash it out, that it's possible to get rid of it in some way. Yeah. By yeah. erasing yeah. The, the memory of it and by erasing the physical manifestation of people that know how to manipulate it in some mm-hmm. way. Yep. They probably watch the Targaryens rip each other to shreds read the books and just thought this isn't a world with a future you know this is this shouldn't so i guess they've got something in common with the faceless men that we were discussing well i definitely think yeah that there's a ground at least there's definitely a then intersection of of their goals so what's the likelihood that marwin knows that paid is not paid that's an interesting question because i was thinking about that i don't think you would let him into his quarters don't yeah, I don't if, think so. If he suspected that he was, you, you know, a guy under. A- Given if Marwin is, you know, if we can accept Marwin at face value, and you know, his he's a sort of antithesis of the gray sheep who are trying to create a world without magic, and if also as we just said, there's that intersection between the world without magic, the Citadel wants, and the world that the faceless men want then Marwin would not view Pate as an ally, Pate Jackin, right, right. right? So yeah, I don't think he can. This is what I was thinking about earlier today. I don't think he can know who he is no, or he, he wouldn't have left him in charge of Sam. Yeah, He's right, right there with the lit candle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's the like, candle. good luck with that. <laughs> and Jackin is one of the best in the game. He's so yeah. good. So. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly, because Marwin's one of the best in the game and mm-hmm. he's just sitting there cross-legged on his floor. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. (laughs) Yeah. I'm Pate like the pig boy. And that's when you read the prologue again, you realize that that's the last thing Pate, the real Pate, would have said Mm -hmm. because he hated being called the pig boy. Absolutely. But that's how you can be sure that he, you know, he isn't Pate there because he says something that Pate would never ever say in a million years. Right. It's it's used against him that term. Mm. I wonder if the people that know him will figure, will kind of, yeah, you know, like, Pate's calling himself like, the pig boy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, is he She's good? Smart, you know, he'd be like, wait, yeah, a, yeah he doesn't like mention, that. What happened with that? Sorella too. Yeah. So some sharp people, and also uh, participating in subterfuge. Yeah. At that same moment, so yeah. very suspicious on so, lookout yeah. for that so kind of stuff. Two, yeah, yeah. There's two. Leo looks like he's spying. Mm-hmm. Pate's spying. Yeah. Sorella's probably spying. Yeah. 
Oh, for and then sure. Sam like barrels in with all Here the comes info. Sam. He's yeah. just like, do do do. Let me yeah. tell you this story. This crazy story. And they're all I like, help Whoa. myself. Yeah. You know, it's so perfect. They're on the Isle of Ravens in Old Town, surrounded by corking birds, uh, a rundown uh, werewood tree that still works. I'm assuming. Yeah. Lots of uh, lots of ravens. The white ravens, which you all yeah. know what purpose they have. It's just yep. what a cool collection. Of people in a cool spot. Yeah, it is. Very cool. Yeah. And how funny is it that Leo Tyrell was using that candle to try to see naked girls? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. You think he was telling the truth? I do. For yeah. sure. That's yes. too Leo. real. Yeah, he's just, he's like, so willy-nilly there. That's the vibe of his little hangout. Uh, yeah. I light the candle and these guys hang out and they look at it when they want, right? Because yeah. they don't know how to light it. That's the whole thing. They right. don't know anything about it. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Hey, uh, Marwin, can I... Uh... Take a little How many gander. POV chapters will it be before Sam uses the candle? And he he's, he peers in like he's not supposed to or the something. The next one. Oh. Yeah. No one's in there. The or, next you know, one. It's going to be like the next he chapter. Yeah. He comes back. He's going to be he's like preying on his mind. He's in his, although he's going to do something with Gilly because he told her he'd come back True. the next day. Yeah. Be like but I do think he's going to be like, you know. Just see uh, what John's up back to. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I don't know what John. he's going to do. And then, but, you know, like, it's just a weird sort of... Because then he sees that John is gone. Right. Yeah. Like, yes. do you, are you looking straight ahead? Are you looking backwards, yeah. forwards? Like, does he know how to control it? Is there a way to control it? Or do you just see what it shows right. you? Right. Know? Remember Sauron and the plant here? Yeah. In yeah. Lord of the Rings? Yeah. On accident? Yeah. I was very suspicious of what Gandalf was hiding. Yeah. I want to take a look at it. Yeah. And then now this horrible fate precedes me and I set I set things in a chain of motion that I maybe shouldn't have. So yeah. that's possible. We know that George is a big fan of Tolkien. Maybe that mm-hmm. same sort of yeah. thing might happen. Yeah. yeah. I definitely think that the that the glass candles, if we're gonna go there, I think they're definitely a nod to the palantiri that be it's that's a, a that's sure. exactly what those are. They're they're glass balls instead of candles they're yeah, things that use that sorcerers use to communicate with each yeah. other in faraway places there's weird exactly. shit like that through folklore like yeah. s- s- crystal balls any kind of yeah. scrying channeling tool mm-hmm. and so it makes sense that we finally get to this point in the story for us it's at the end of the last two books because the way we ordered it but it's the end of the fourth book to where there's a physical manifestation of magic in some way, and it is linked yeah. to dragons. It is a piece of dragon glass. It's obsidian. Mm-hmm. We know at this point in the story, if we're reading it even in the published order, that it kills things like White Walkers, and that it's really difficult to work with. Yeah. And yep. uh, there's a quote here where uh, Sam asks how it gets lit, um, and so we get kind of an uncharacteristically flat answer, while still mysterious, but... Um, Kind of a flat answer to how it works. It burns but is not consumed. And a great question from Sam, what feeds the flame? What feeds the dragon's fire? Marwin seated himself upon a stool. All Valyrian sorcery was rooted in blood or fire. Yeah. The sorcerers of the Freehold could see across mountains, seas, and deserts with one of these glass candles. They could enter a man's dreams, give him vision, speak to, each other, speak to one another half a world apart. Seated before their candles. Don't you think that might be useful, Slayer? So, um, I mean, like I said... At this point in the story, there's a physical manifestation. George has told us all these mm-hmm. different reasons why magic seems to exist. The fire ladder and Karth sticks out in my mind out of a, out of a bunch of them. The, the existence of the dragons after how the eggs were petrified and Danny came out living. And all the shadow baby. That's it. Mm. That's the only yeah. one I need to mention. Right. <laughs> a person climbed out of another person that was a shadowy guy, went through bars, and then stabbed, killed someone in real life. It right. was, and no one was 
was tripping, you know? <laughs> no, I mean, that it really seemed happened. like it really happened. So we yeah. know it's there's magic. Here it is. And yeah. Sam asked the all-important question, how does this work? Because hmm. that's what the maesters here, the archmaesters, the gray sheep, seem to be wanting to stamp out if we're right, if our conversation is yeah. right, if what we're saying is right. So the the right question to those who are curious, not just to have an idea of uh, like bias against believing in it or really wanting to use it. Uh, what feeds the flame? Because I want to know how it works. And Marwin's question is a lot like this. What would you call it? What was it again? The snake eating its own toe? Yeah, Ouroboros. Or, it's like that. What feeds the dragon's flame? But I feel like there's more of an answer in there than I've than I've thought mm-hmm. of before. Because what feeds the dragon's flame is the dragon being alive, right? Yeah, blood. So the blood, really, the blood. Yeah. And so what Fire is the blood? blood? It's like the 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 collection of choices of the beings over the course of history on a particular planet, I guess. So it's like the lineage equals the possibility. Mm-hmm for the people that are currently alive later in life to be able to do the thing. So it seems like maybe the answer to how this technology exists on the earth is just that it's like snowballed over time and Mm. became this in some way. Mm -hmm. And what's powering is itself the existence of reality in the first place, the existence of this planet in the first place. And I guess the way that George wanted to coalesce it with a typical sort of ore from mythology would be obsidian, mm. dragon glass, right. you know, the heating, superheating of fire, stuff that de- is derived from dragon, like dragon bone stuff. Shoot, like a dragon bone bow probably shoots further than golden heart, even though we, yeah. golden heart's pretty cool. It's like, well, for some reason, this dragon rib right. t- pulled is, in a certain way, yeah. or we use his heartstring and a, and a wand, and it might be certainly powerful versus these other things. So a dragon-like thing is usually harder to get because I guess dragons are rarer, they're harder mm-hmm. to tame, that kind of thing. So there's probably other windows to magic that George might not have to get into, but there's also different kinds of bows to use. Mm. I feel like what he does is he's really appreciative of all these hierarchical equipments and different sorts of ideas within stories. And instead of going into it, we get little vignettes of it, like mm. the with the golden heart bow on the ship. Yeah. I get to appreciate it. It made me feel cool because it reminded me of stuff that I like, of like equipment lists and games and getting better ones over time. Yeah, yeah. And so it shoots further than the other ones, and it even helped Sam shoot a little bit better, maybe, yeah. because it was further. Yeah. So it was like a combination of him doing well and leveling but up. He's but he's got a like better a bow. Magic, yeah. He's we've got like better bows. Level 10 bow now instead of that one you get at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Right. But in most fantasy books they're like you follow Harry or you, you're split between a male and a female mm. and there's more time to fill in the book. There's more pages that you physically have to fill. So there's more time to go into rabbit holes about the kinds of equipment right. and the kinds of yeah. the order of things and how they make sense on the planet and the different kinds of magic. So I, I think that there's probably more mm. to what this planet is able to reproduce through its people and through the different technologies outside of just dragon glass. But I think maybe this is one that survived or it's the most preeminent of the time. I mean, the fact, a fact that we have right now to back that up is because the trees, the technology of the blood Raven, Mm. I don't think he's using a glass candle in that tree. I think he is using the werewood network, right? Right. Yeah, Yeah. sure. But it's the same sort of thing. It's channeling into the oblivion. Hmm. Ice and fire equivalents of each so, other, the different m- magic systems. Yeah, I was going to say that, you know, most of the magic that we see working. So setting aside, you know, there's Blood Raven and 
probably the others seem to be maybe ice magic. I don't know if, yeah. if we are woods, if you would, uh, you know, categorize that as that, but the rest of the magic is it's all fire or blood, you know, whether it's dragons or whether it's, um, you know, seeing things in flames or sacrifice, blood sacrifice or creating a shadow baby, which has got some sort of fire or blood magic because of who does it. I mean, that's her, mm. that's her type of magic. I'm sorry. Mm. <laughs> Each one of us has, uh, Everyone has, happened to has every done single that. Sack. It's going to happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call you five times uh, right now. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, he's, he's creating a, you know, a sort of a dichotomy, I guess, of two different types of magic. Yeah. There doesn't seem to be anything else besides those two things. We need to go to a shy. We need to, obviously. Like Marwin. Right. We'll go to Sothorios. <laughs> How do you guys pronounce it? Sothorios? I say Sothorios. Sothorios. It's spelled, spelled two different ways. Sothiros. Is it really? Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> I think it's Sotheros and Sothorios. Sotheros. So everyone's like, right. I like Sotheros. Yeah. That's good. Do you guys call it Aswaf or? No. Uh, <laughs> no, I might start though. Yeah. <laughs> I forget what the other one is now. It's completely gone out of my mind. Uh, I guess before we go, I want to know what everyone thinks that Leighton Hightower is up to in the oh. Hightower. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We uh, talked about this last night. Well, it's funny because I, I wasn't really talking about Leighton. I was talking about. The Mad Maid. <clears throat> No, his sons, because, because they're, you know, so they're coming and then they get kind of like the rundown of Leighton and Leighton and Melora are up in the high tower, but all the sons are doing things. They each have a job. One guy's gathering men, one guy's doing the harbor. One of them, Humphrey, has gone off to Liss to hire cell sales. Um, Different from swords. That sell sales, which is definitely a different thing. And, um, you know, he's supposed to try to get Liness their their sister who mm-hmm. is Jor's wife who lives in Liss now with her lover. Wow. Forgot yeah. about that connection. I know. It's a weird, we were talking yeah, about it last really night. Strange. Like that's mm-hmm. Jorah's wife, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah. So <clears throat> he's going to ask for her help, but the way they talk about her, it seems like there's not, you know, they don't have a lot of faith that she's going to help them. Um, so, I was saying, look, he's looking for cell swords and he, he sails to Liss. His sister's like, tells him to go pound sand and he's on his way back. <laughs> and where is there just a, a big fleet of cell sails just kind of sitting there waiting to come back into the story? Orane Waters is in the Stepstones. And we've talked a lot about him recently because we've been kind of in around that whole, you know, Dorne and the Stormlands and everything. And, you know, I have this feeling that he's eventually going to end up with Aegon. Hmm. But as we talked about this a bit last night after we read the chapter and we were making some notes and I think, what if Humphrey Hightower ends up hiring Orane Waters and brings him over and that actually is how he gets drawn back into the story. And then if the whole Friends in the Reach thing happens... Uh, that could be a way for him to actually ultimately end up with with Aegon if, you know, some of the Reach Lords end up on Aegon's side because Cersei has abandoned them to... It's, that's their perspective right now is that she's abandoned them to the Ironborn. 
Um, that would be way less mystical than people are afraid that that mm. the direction that they're going. Yeah, and it would be way less sort of throwing up your hands and giving up. Yeah, than it seems like is, is happening. But as in you asked, but so that is a total side side jog from the question you asked, which is what is Leighton Hightower doing? And I have no clue. Yeah, no clue. No clue. He's For up once, there. I'm speechless. Does he have a? <laughs> does he have a glass candle? Right. I don't know. Well, to be up there for a decade is that how long it was or 10 years or some really long time that he's been kind of locked up in yes his, but in when you think space. about it um i looked so the height of the high tower is like what did we say like 70 stories it's like it's, it's insane it's it's a skyscraper mm. and they don't have elevators it's too hard to get down. So, exactly. I mean, <laughs> if I was him and I was up there, I would be like, no, yeah. I'm what not about going the wall down there. Lift? Like, you got to put like a version of the wall lift in there, right? There's got to be something well, to bring food up there, too. Unless you have a really good, I'm going to call them servants. Unless you have really good servants with like a handoff system. I'm sorry. Do you need to call someone? No, it's just because it's my phone continues to feed me the notifications if I don't look at them. Is there anything so, happening? That so, no, in the world? It's, it was me trying to ignore something that oh, okay. did not want to be ignored. <laughs> Sorry. So you guys don't know. I don't know either. I, I, was, yeah. I just, I felt like it seemed like someone throwing up their hands yeah. and being like, I don't know what to do. I hope yeah, that. Yeah, like, let somebody else be in charge. I'm, yeah. like, I'm going to go quote unquote figure it out. Me, and me too. Kind of yeah. runs away. I just felt like he's, he's up there and he doesn't want to come down. But yeah. his kids might be the saving grace. Maybe. I feel like his sons are actually being proactive. I mean, I don't know what will happen with Melora, who's, you know, she's been set up to be kind of a mysterious figure. But does that ever, you know, does it ever come to mean anything in the story? I don't I don't know because of all the stuff Sometimes. we were just talking about, you know, like there's so, there's so much story to tell with all the characters we already have. How do you right. meaningfully right. add new characters? Right. All these randos. Yeah. No offense to them. Yeah. No offense, but... Sorry, but, sorry, Mad Mage. You're kind of a rando at this yeah, point. <laughs> we don't have time for you. That's the way I see it, but yeah. I'm the wrong person to ask. Yeah. I don't have time for like 85% of the characters in the Song of Ice and Fire. Want to go to Owns? Yeah, let's do Owns. Let's do I've already said my own like seven times, so I feel like it's yeah. time for me to definitively put it out there. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Um, I'm going to give my own two that exchange between Leo and Sam and Marwin, where he says, I'm Sam from Horn Hill, Lord Randall Tarley's son. Are you still a craven? No, lied Sam. John had command, made it a command. I went beyond the wall and fought in battles. They called me Sam the Slayer. He did not know why he said it. The words just tumbled out. Leo laughed, and before he could reply, the door opened behind him. Get in here, Slayer, growled the man in the doorway. I just like that whole exchange because as we talk so much about his transformation so much of being in leo's presence it says it makes him feel like he was still a boy of seven about to wet his small clothes just being around somebody yeah. that he kind of grew up around hearing of and then he tumbles out that he's sam the slayer because he can't all keep the, it in yeah all the trauma he's just like that like abused yeah little he, boy that is just like i gotta say something cool mm-hmm. really i cool. killed someone mm-hmm. yeah he, he's <laughs> caught between the past and the future isn't he totally like he really wants to be this person yeah. but things keep pulling him back and in this case leo you know just makes him feel seven years old again thought mm-hmm. it was such a great moment so yeah 
But he's someone that. that he knew when he was seven. Yeah. It's not just the feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to give my own to the audacity of having all access to everything and using it to look up naked girls. <laughs> but it reminds, <laughs> me, reminds me too much of the real world. So I'm going <laughs> to skip that one for my own. And I want to give it to, to George for the sphinxes in this chapter. The sphinxes outside of, mm. uh, I forget the building. But the two yeah. the male and female sphinxes yep. mm-hmm. giving me more confusion. Is that the riddle of the Riddler? To Alaris, obviously. But also just to the idea of the when Eamon said that, I was just like, Oh, light me on fire. You know, <laughs> like this is what I need. More of this. He's saying all this other stuff, and then you say that. And it made me think of I I I have this strange thought that he's also multi-purpose mentioning this, the idea of the Sphinx coming from our own world history of this strange object that can either be the riddle or Mm -hmm. the person. It can be this weird thing asking you the riddle Mm -hmm. uh, as sphinxes have been adapted from mythology. I'm assuming from that structure. I don't know, but I don't know Mm -hmm. which came first, but it seems like the sphinx is one of the oldest things that we have. So I'm going to go ahead and say it's probably that Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. But I think that its existence is the riddle. It's like, well, what is it? Right. Why is it? How long has it been here? Mm-hmm. Who made it? Yeah. All those questions that come along with that. Mm. I feel like uh, he's sort of implanting into the story through this Sorella character. And then also um, I found there to be more confusion in my heart because they were outside of this building. Again, not yeah. not for an accidental purpose. So mm-hmm. I'm going to continue to dig into it. But I just think it's really neat that it seems like he thinks the right stuff about the Sphinx because that's sort of uh, intuitively how I feel about it because there's so much confusion. Mm. And I think that that sort of a worldly point of view is very intellectual because that's as smart as I can come up with. Maybe Mm. there's a better way to look at it, but I think that to any well-organized mind that the Sphinx is a riddle. You don't know the answer. It just is, what is that? Yeah. Like, I don't we don't know the answer. Right. I just thought for him to put it in the story was really, really cool. Really cool. All right, Radio Westeros. Okay. <laughs> Get these owns. My own is to jack in for masquerading as Pate <laughs> and then spying on probably the most important conversation <laughs> in the history of the Seven Kingdoms <laughs> and just scoring big time for the, for the uh, faceless men. Congrats to him. But yeah. Nice job. Yeah. Uh, well, mine is, I've already mentioned mine too. <laughs> mine is, is Sam and, and his arrow proving all the haters wrong. <laughs> Everybody that called him, you know, a craven and useless and someone who could never, you know, get out of his own way and was afraid of his own shadow. He fired that arrow. He stood there and he fired that arrow at the terrifying ironborn and uh, hit his mark. So go Sam. Go Sam. Maybe he won't be ironically the slayer later. Maybe he'll actually he'll be, be the slayer. Like really, maybe he'll own it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we'll go on to your owns. The first one comes from Allie Levine on Instagram who says, this chapter has a lot of setup for the hellscape Old Town is about to become in the winds of winter. So without giving my own to the obvious Alaris, Marwin, or Pate, I'm going to give my own to Maester Eamon for being the oldest BAMF in Westeros. (laughs) Alaris mentioned that he could have taught the world more about his father, Kingmaker, but I would have liked to know more about Aemon himself. He 
would have made a great king, it seems. So I wonder why he wasn't willing to set aside his vows. I wonder what he knows about Bloodraven in his time before, during, and after the wall. I wonder what other deep mysteries he could shed light shed light on. It's true that he saw so, so much history during a really tumultuous time in Westeros, and I bet he was a certified hottie with a body in his day. Yeah. <laughs> also, head nod to the Sphinx being representative of both male and female. Yes, we see you, Hilarious the River, the Riddler. Ah! Ah! <laughs> there you go. There's the connection yeah. I was looking for. Thank you, Allie. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, Allie. And from Katie Young. Own to Maester Aemon for being known as the oldest man in Westeros. Not an easy feat. Maester Aemon taking it No, Maester Aemon really getting it. If you want to send in your own, if you have your own thoughts and feelings, you can do that in a couple of different ways. You can find us on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook by searching for Game of Owns, or you can send us an email to contact at gameofowns.com. We have OnlyFans. We have Patreon where we post extra content. That's uh, behind a paywall that you would love to see. Maybe. <laughs> Check it out. Uh, Patreon.com slash goo. Got a squad of ice and fire. I'm probably going to record one of those after this really quick with uh, Matt and Jen. It's going to be fun. I, I just thought about it just now. So that'll be fun. Uh, and uh, what else? That's it. That's all. Oh, I'm doing a solo read through on there where I just read the chapter and then I talk to myself. So I started at the beginning of Game oh, of Thrones. Was that a good enough conversation? Are you good company? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, it's too, uh, there's, it's like looking in a mirror too long. It's mm-hmm. a little weird, but you eventually block it out. And if I get to where I'm doing enough of them, then it's easier. But the longer I wait, the harder it is. Where can people find you guys? And well, what are you up to next? You can find us at RadioWestros.com. Uh, we also have a Patreon, so you can find us there. You can find us on YouTube, Radio Westeros, or wherever you get your fine podcasts. And um, what we're up to now is we've been doing our Winds of Winter Primer series. We're about to release our eighth episode in that series. We've been going kind of region by region and grouping up uh, characters. So uh, this this one is about the Reach. Uh, it's about Sam and... Euron? No, I'm sorry. That's our current episode. Yeah, I can see my partner shaking his head at me. (laughs) We've moved on to Slaver's Bay, so we're talking about (laughs) Victarion and Tyrion, and and what's going around Slaver's Bay, which sells swords are fighting for who? Those catapults, the hostages, all that complicated stuff. We've sort of ironed it out, and we can give you a presentation and get you up to scratch for the winter winter which is gonna come out pretty soon guys honest (laughs) (laughs) hey we have two more two more uh forays into this primer and then winds of winter is going to yeah, be we right have work there to do too. at we the don't. end of it so <laughs> it's like a little bit longer yeah we need like three or four more months yeah it'll be done It'll how many years have you guys been doing this uh 2014 yeah seven years actually uh a couple of weeks it will be our seven year anniversary wow, we congratulations. started with a thank you we started with a an episode about the mercy chapter not not long after that was released and um the rest is history. The rest is history, literally. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I've been looking forward to this so for such a long fun. time. It's great to so do we, this in person yeah. after being apart from people for so long. Just to be in the same room is great. Yeah. Thank it, you. It really is. And I'm thanks thanks for thank you. I've been wanting thank to have you. you on the show for so long, too. And uh, 
we've had we've had Lady Gwen on the show multiple times, but we were like, whenever you came back into the podcast game after your move, mm. we were like, I, I it was a self imposed uh, isolation from you. I was like, I don't want to do, I don't want to have you on the podcast until we can hang out in person <laughs> and do Get the full experience, do the full thing. <laughs> And this, for me, this conversation has not been a disappointment. It's exactly what I hoped it would be. Probably one of my favorites that I've had on the show so far. Like, Aww, thank, thank you guys for having us in your house. Thank you for being here. Talking to us about all this in-game stuff that we, none of us know the answer to. Um, this is really fun. Yeah. Thanks everybody Ooh. for listening. One last plug. Oh, yes. If you want to follow along on a reading order with us, and if you want to read the next chapter, we're going to do the epilogue from A Dance of Dragons. And you can find that reading order at afisadragons.com. That's it. That's all I got. Thanks for listening, everybody. This was fun. Thanks, everyone.